that we come to worship the one and only true God. We are going to be in Acts chapter 4, verse 23 through 31. If you want to turn there to Acts chapter 4, the uh, title of the message, The Disciples Find Confidence. And you know, living in a world that we live in today, sometimes uh, confidence or hope or some kind of uh, assurance and things of that nature, sometimes it's hard to find, isn't it? It really is. Me and Karen were talking about that on the way up here, that um, <clears throat> sometimes I run in circles uh, on the family side or maybe some of my classmates from high school. And, and you, would, you would think that, that the world revolves around them and their generation. They, would, uh, uh, they just think the younger generations all just, you know, uh, they don't know what they're doing and everything. And maybe some of them don't because guess what? We were in the same boat. When we were young, right? Remember when you were 10 foot tall and bulletproof, right? And now you realize you're just 10 foot tall, you're not bulletproof, but you've learned some things. You've taken some knocks in life. And, and so we were talking about it today where, you know, we're thinking about our kids. And I'm thinking of, I know stories I've heard about your kids and things. And so there is hope. But listen, doing hospice work for over 17 years. If I could give anybody anything when I'm kneeling down next to their bed or their wheelchair, it's to provide them hope, provide them some kind of peace. Without hope and peace, you can't survive. And without confidence and assurance, it's kind of hard to live the Christian life. And these disciples are going to find confidence. If you would please stand as I read Acts chapter 4. I'm just going to read verse 31. And then I'll ask for the Lord's blessing. Acts 4, verse 31. And when they prayed, the place where they assembled together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they spoke the word of God with boldness or confidence. Let's pray. Dearly Father, we come to you today. And Father, we just want to thank you that we have a place to come. A place that is uh, created an environment of fellowship, accountability, compassion, and truth. Truth that will settle us. Truth that will establish us. Whether we're praying for the truth, singing about the truth, or preaching the truth, or just in our conversations, here we are, brothers and sisters, in the truth. That is the truth of the gospel, the truth of your whole word, the full counsel of God. So, Father, help us today as we, as we tackle these few verses. Give us grace. Open our eyes of understanding. Fill our hearts with, uh, with refreshing words of encouragement and when we leave these four walls father may we walk out of these four walls a little bit more confident than we were when we came in father there are people within these four walls people that are listening online water's in their boat it may not be in my boat but right now water's in their boat and they need someone to come alongside and let them know that there is one there is one that is a very present help in their time of need. There is one, perhaps if this person is lost, there is one that can set them free.
from the bondage of sin and the penalty of sin. So, Father, help us to do that today, to give a word, to listen to a word that would bring confidence, faith, assurance in God and in Christ alone, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. As we enter this part of Acts chapter 4, Peter and John had healed a man. Uh, the crowds gathered and they explained what was going on and what this miracle happened to authenticate their message. And, and then last week, as they began to speak to the people that were crowding around, explain the authentication of their gospel, uh, the religious people, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, uh, arrested them with the guards, the palace guards, and, and the next day they had a court, and they said, you know what, by what authority do you think you're talking to? Who's, where's your power? Where's your authority? Where's your credential card, so to speak, to be talking like this? And, of course, Peter spoke up, filled with the Spirit, with confidence, with assurance, being empowered to be a witness, which Jesus said would happen as they surrendered to the Spirit of God there in Acts chapter 2. They were filled with the Spirit to be witnesses. Every time they were filled with the Spirit, it was for the purpose of giving testimony, testimony of the gospel, testimony of what God was doing in their lives. And listen, uh, uh, being a witness is nothing more than speaking to what you have seen and heard and you know to be true. That's all a witness is. And the more that you read God's word, the more you devote time to be familiar with God's word, uh, the more you're convinced of it, and the more you've seen and the more you've heard, therefore you're going to have more opportunity, because God's going to open those doors, to give a testimony. And it may be John 3.16, it may be the road to Romans, it may be uh, the, the way of the master presentation, it may be also just showing compassion. It may be showing benevolence. It may be as simple as, oh, well, I hate to hear that's going on in your life. Do you mind if I pray with you today? And they may say, heck no, don't pray for me, and that's fine. Be a gentleman and walk away. They may say, well, you really believe in prayer? Yeah. So it can come in all kinds of ways that we are a testimony. We give testimony and witness to God's greatness and God's goodness. Well, here, Peter and John are approached by what authority is your message? And Peter gives a message. Says, well, by Jesus Christ, the very one that God said would, would be the cornerstone whom you rulers have rejected by the will of God, you put on the cross and he died, but he rose again. And then Peter looks at them and says, you know what? If, if you think we ought to obey man rather than God, then you go ahead and judge. He said, but I'm going to tell you something. We're going to preach by this name that by no other name man can be saved other than the name of Jesus. And today, in our text, they're released by these religious rulers who, who are fearful of the crowds, what the crowds will think if they, if they keep them or punish them. They, they cannot deny what has happened to this man, that by, by the grace of God this man was healed. They can't even deny Peter's message. They just kind of release them out of fear of the crowd. These religious rulers are nothing more than religious politicians. They worry more about getting reelected or keeping power than they do telling the truth. And Peter and John says, you know what? We're in the business of telling the truth. That's what we're in the business of. And here in the text, they're released and they go to meet their companions. 
as it says in my new King James. They go to meet their companions and they give a report as to what had happened. And that's where we are in the text. So let's look at verse 23 through 26. These disciples that find confidence. Verse 23 through 26, they find confidence in God's scriptures. Look at verse 23 through 26. And being let go, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. So when they heard that, that is when, the, when their companions heard that, they raised their voice to God in one with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them who by the mouth of your servant David have said, Why do the nations rage? He's quoting Psalm chapter 2. Why do the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. These disciples, when they left this experience of being threatened, questioned, Question not only just what's this all about, like the people were doing, but questioning their credibility, questioning their authority to even be speaking about Jesus. When they were questioned and threatened uh, of stopping to do what they're doing, they went back to their companions and they began to share. And as they shared what happened, they became more confident in that experience because they compared it to the scriptures. They, they began to build a worldview, as we would say nowadays, a biblical worldview. What we experienced over here, ah, it's in the scripture. That's a biblical worldview. Everything that we experience, good, bad, or indifferent, needs to, needs to filter through the, through, the, through the filter lens of the scripture, and we build a worldview. We build a, a biblical confidence that no whether we're going through good bad or indifferent what does this mean to me what does this say about God and they had a biblical worldview so they found confidence in God's scriptures they reported their experience to their companions and they rejoiced in their experience with their companions because they looked at the scriptures and said you know what the nations raised against our Christ the nations have plotted a vain thing against our Lord. Why wouldn't they want to plot a vain thing against us? Because we preach our Lord. They found as companions confidence in the scriptures in spite of what they experienced. They took that bad, scary, fearful, probably even anxious experience and filtered it through the word of God to gain confidence to gain assurance, to gain hope, to gain momentum to move forward. No matter what happened. And of course, in this sense, it was a bad experience. It was a scary experience. I mean, you imagine, it says that they were in the midst of the palace guards and all those that were former high priests. They were in the midst of the Jewish religious rulers, right in the middle of them. You know, they weren't packing. They didn't know judo and karate. Matter of fact, they didn't even email their congressman or their senator, did they? When they were being persecuted, when they were being told, don't you preach that name. You know what they did? 
respectfully and graciously. They said, well, if you judge that what we're doing is wrong, you go ahead and judge it that way, but we're going to obey God rather than man. And then there they were in the midst, not knowing what the results would be, but graciously and respectfully, they responded to the accusations. They responded to the, the threats, and they were trusting God in the midst of all that evil, in the midst of all that, that, that oppression. There they were in the midst, and they spoke truth to it, and they spoke honestly, and in this case, they were let go. And when they were let go, they weren't licking their wounds. They weren't emailing their congressman, their senator. They weren't quoting the First Amendment. They weren't packing for the Second Amendment. You know what they did? They went back to their companions and said, hey, guess what happened? Well, what happened? And they just began to talk about what had happened. And instead of all them wringing their hands in worry, they said, man, oh, the Scripture, it's supposed to be this way. They are going to rage they are going to plot vain, empty things that aren't going to come to pass because they're plotting it against God and our Christ. They reported their experience and they rejoiced in their experience. Why? Because as companions in the gospel, they found confirmation to minister in the scriptures. They looked to the scriptures and found confirmation as to what they had been doing, as to what they had experienced, even the persecution. Verse 27 through 30, they not only found confidence in God's scripture, but as they analyzed the scripture and analyzed their experience, they found confidence in God's sovereignty. Look at verse 27 through 30. For truly... Against your holy servant, Jesus. In other words, they're, they're taking the scriptures that they've read based off their experience and now Jesus' experience. For truly, against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, in other words, God chose him, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your, uh, uh, your hand excuse me, I'll find the page here, your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Now, Lord, look on their threats. That is, look on the threats of what we just experienced and grant to your servants that with all boldness or confidence and assurance, they may speak your word. By stretching out your hand to heal, that was when that man was healed, and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. They found confidence in God's scriptures. They took that experience and compared it to scripture. Did we do something wrong? What, what's going on here? They were trying to figure out through that bad experience what I learned about myself, what I learned about God, what I learned about man in general, man's nature. And they found it in the scriptures. The spirit of God just inspired them to think of the scriptures. And in those scriptures, they found confidence to be confirmed in what they did. Then as they looked at the scriptures, they began to think about, well, think about Jesus' life and how he was persecuted. Oh, well, well you were even sovereign in his death because it was by your hand and for your purpose that the Gentiles, the religious rulers, and all those people put him to death. God's sovereignty. 
was part of that. God's plan was part of that. And it says that he planned it, that it would be done. In other words, he decreed it before the foundation of the world. They found confidence in God's sovereignty because this gospel that they were looking to through Jesus' life, the redemptive work of Christ, the gospel portrayed God's pleasure in redemption. It pleased God, it says in the scripture, for him to suffer. Now, I know we don't like to hear that in the American culture we live in today, but listen, when I used to run cross-country in high school, I was about 110 pounds. Everybody else was a grown man, you know, and I'm just trying to keep up with everybody. But when my coach found me walking one day instead of running, he called me Holfarb. That was my nickname. Don't, don't ask me why, Holfarb, F-A-R-B. He said, you better start jogging every day. Okay. He said, now, if you keep jogging, just all I ask you is to jog. Because if you, do, if you played basketball and didn't play football, you had to at least run cross country whether you were in a meet or not. So he said, just jog every day because I wanted to go out for basketball. So I started jogging every day, just jogging. I didn't wait till the last one turned, then turned around. I, just, I jogged all the way, jogged back. Pretty soon I was running every day. By the end of that junior year, it was an area, uh, they call area run over Oral Roberts campus. You know, like you go area and then state. Well, JV only had area. And that day I had to run a three-mile race instead of a two-mile race. I'd never run a three-mile race other than practice. But I'd been jogging. I began to run. Then sometimes after practice, when you'd run a one-mile, a two-mile, and a three-mile, I'd go home, eat supper, do my homework, and run another three miles. I was running nine miles a day. Plus, I played soccer Tuesday and Thursday. I had practice Sunday games. I was, um, I was a midfielder where you're running back and forth on offensive deal. I was running a lot because I burned a lot of calories. But I was in great shape. And by the time I got to the area race, and the coach said, by the way, it's a three-mile race, I'm like, ugh. I only run two-mile competition. But that day, because I had worked hard, gone through suffering, gone through the embarrassment, gone through pain, and pushed myself over and over in pain and in suffering, I ran a 1645 three-mile. Fast ever run in my life. Other when someone was after me, and then it was heels and elbows. But the point is here, is they even saw God's sovereignty in their suffering. I look back to those days of that cross-country race. I thought that was the last race I would run that year, and I ran real good because there's no state for JV. But the, never, the, the very next Monday when I got off the Votech bus, my coach met me out by the Votech bus. I'm like, hey, coach is meeting me out here. What, what's going on, coach? He said, you're an alternate runner for the state meet. Okay. And I didn't run a lick at the state meet, but you know what? I became a state champion because I was an alternate runner. They won the state championship. I saw, I see now the sovereignty of God in all that pain. I benefited. I'm more than a conqueror, right? Through Jesus Christ. And so these disciples found confidence, not only in the scriptures to compare what's going on and what God is doing and how God works, they found confidence in God's sovereignty, that this gospel that they understood through Jesus Christ, that it was by God's purpose, by God's design, that Jesus would suffer for our greater good, for redemption. The gospel portrays God's pleasure in redemption, and the gospel portrays God's ways for redemption. 
we could not be redeemed unless the Son of God, the Chosen One, would suffer persecution, suffer death. In that death, we found life. I talked to a guy the other day. He said, well, why didn't God just... And he had some scenario of what God should have done, I guess, to save everybody. And I said, well, that's, uh, that's a good scenario, but that's not what God did. Jesus had to die. And I said, you must come to him or else you'll not have life. But if God would have... I, I know, but if God would have done this, that... I, that's cool. I said, but you, you can't build a God of your own image. You've got to deal with the God that's a reality. And he sent his son, and you must come to him to be saved. And that's the only way. Well, these disciples saw in that gospel of Jesus Christ God's purpose, God's plan through the Gentiles, through Pontius Pilate, through Herod, and all these people that, that we could sit there and say, look how wicked they were. But yet, even the Psalm says, even the wicked had their hire from God to fulfill God's purpose and do it God's way. They found confidence in God's sovereignty. As companions in the gospel, they not only found confirmation to minister, but they found affirmation to minister. It's not only in the scriptures, they would say, but it was in Jesus' life. We're affirmed by that. We're confirmed by that in our ministry. And last but not least, verse 31, they found confidence in God's scriptures. They found confidence in God's sovereignty. And they found confidence in God's spirit. Look at verse 31. And when they had prayed, that was after they went to the scriptures, after they highlighted the gospel. It says, and when they prayed, the place where they assembled together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. We might even say refilled because it was a constant cycle, right? Being filled with the Spirit. It's not, they're indwelled by the Spirit forever, but they've got to be filled to be witnesses all, off and on. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the Word of God with boldness or confidence. They found confidence in God's Spirit. They prayed for power to witness, and they were filled with power to witness. It was that simple. They began to pray. They had analyzed the situation and found confidence in the scripture. They had analyzed the gospel and Jesus' life, and they found, they found confidence in God's sovereignty even in that. So God must be sovereign over here in our situation. And they found confidence as the Spirit of God that they prayed to filled them again to be a witness, empowered them to be a witness. As companions in the gospel, they found confirmation from the scriptures to minister. They found affirmation from the, from the story of Jesus to minister, and they found manifestation by the Spirit of God to minister. The Spirit of God manifested power to be witnesses. Number one, we are companions. Did you know we are companions, not competitors? And there's churches around here who are our companions. They're not our competitors. We are companions, not competitors of the gospel to do his will. We are servants, not lords of the gospel 
to do his way. And we are, we are the clay, and he's the clay maker. He's in control. And if you've ever, uh, I remember back when I was in probably in elementary, me and my sister went to a class where you could uh, paint ceramics, and they would fire them up and make them shiny. I didn't get to see them make the stuff, but I saw the lady one day while I'm sitting there painting whatever I was painting, and before she gets to fire it up, she's making these things, and, and she's doing this to the, to the potter wheel, and push the clay, and then sometimes she takes it off and slams it and pushes it around more and more. Well, then the next week I come to this little summer class, there's that pot ready for me to paint or that little vase. Now imagine you're the clay. You're just a piece of clay. And sometimes as, as, as the world is spinning, God is pushing here, squeezing there. It can be painful being the clay. But the good news is, is God's the clay maker. And as he squeezes and pushes and everything, make you just the way you need to be, it's going to fulfill a great purpose once the vessel's done. We are companions. We are servants. And we're nothing more than clay. And God is in control, making you, making us who we are as a church to do what he's asked us to do as a church with the resources, with the gifts, with the talents that we have. And when God gives that opportunity and squeezes and molds, we need to comply to it. Because if we don't comply, then eventually he just has to kind of water it up again and spash it and then start all over again. I'd rather comply to that little push over here that hurts. I did not want to jog one mile and one mile back when my coach told me to. But I wanted to play basketball bad enough that I would jog that mile to the lumberyard and jog back. But it was because of that encouragement to say, if you really want to play basketball, this is what you minimum have to do. But because I was willing to do the minimum, pretty soon I was doing the maximum. And by the end of the year, I benefited from it because my coach coached me. He didn't just dictate to me. He was a good coach. He's passed away now. I know both of his, two of his sons, they're coaches too. I keep in contact. And I think of my cross-country and basketball coach often. How he tolerated this little 110-pound knucklehead named Holfarb. That's what they called me. And you know what? God, God tolerates us too many times. And we need to realize we are, we are companions. The disciples find confidence in God's purpose and in that purpose for God to carry out according to what pleased him so that he could promote the gospel to all who would hear. That's what they figured out. They went through a tough time during the midst. It was very scary. It was very threatening. It was very oppressing. They spoke to it respectfully graciously and truthfully. And, of course, this time they came out smelling like roses, let go, but, but, but they didn't say, look what we did. They just said, what did we learn here about ourselves, about other people? What did we learn about God? And they began to search the Scriptures. The Scriptures came to mind, and they found confirmation. They found affirmation, and then they, they saw manifestation to what? To continue to be bold to be confident with the word of God, that is the gospel of God. 
to the believer. This would be your simple challenge, your simple invitation to the believer. When we venture as Christians, when we venture out to do God's work, we will face good, bad, and indifferent experiences. I mean, those are the three categories. Good experiences, bad experiences, and indifferent, at best, confusing experiences. But in each one of those experiences, whether it be good, bad, or indifferent, in each one of those experiences, you need to know something. God is leading you there, and he's leading all the way. He's not saying, hey, I need you to do X, Y, or Z that may be a good, bad, or indifferent experience. And by the way, I'll meet you over here at 0600 over here. No, he says, I'm leading the way. Come on. He's, lead, he's a shepherd. He not only leads us in the green pastures and, and the great places of rest, but in Psalm 23, he leads us through the valley of the shadow of death. And verse 5 says he, he prepares a table of victory in the midst of our enemies. American church don't want to talk about that. Oh, we want to talk about the green pastures, the still waters. And that's all true. But listen, you're going to go through valleys. The valleys of the shadow of death. It's going to be scary. It might even be life-threatening what you're experiencing today. I don't know. I mean, literally life-threatening. But listen, God's leading all the way. Because even when we're there in the valley of the shadow of death and our enemies are surrounding us, it says his rod and his staff are there to comfort us. Why does that comfort us? Well, if I'm straying in that valley, he takes the hook of that little shepherd hook and he pulls me back in. Saves me for myself. And if the enemy is barraging his sheep enough, God will take that club out. And whatever is opposing his sheep, he will beat to death. That's why when he's in that valley of the shadow of death, that's why when these men were in the midst of their wolves, their oppression, they were comforted. Because if I'm doing something wrong here, God will hook me in. If I'm not and something's happening, God will take care of the enemy. In each one of our experiences, good, bad, or indifferent, God is leading you, my friend. He's leading all the way. He's not going to leave you nor forsake you. He's leading you. God is purpose. There's purpose in it. There's meaning to it. Even in suffering, there is meaning to it. And ultimately, God is in control because he's leading all the way. So as a believer, as we go through good, bad, and indifferent, confusing, unknown experiences, just know that God is leading He's purposed. He has a meaning to it. You're going to learn something about yourself. You're going to learn something about God. You're going to learn something about other people. And he's in control. We find purpose in God's work from the scriptures. We find pleasure in God's work from the gospel. We find peace in God's work from his presence. That's what they did. They looked to the scriptures and they found purpose. They looked to the gospel and they found peace and they were filled with the spirit and sensed his presence be actively seeking opportunities church be actively seeking opportunities to do ministry don't be afraid if God puts you in the midst of something he puts you there and you're not alone he's with you 
be actively seeking opportunity to do ministry, be devoted to read the scriptures, to be mindful of ministry, to have a mission-mindedness, to know that wherever you find yourself, you're on mission. God sent you there, and you're not alone, and he's going to lead you even through that if he has to. Otherwise, he may be leading you into green pastures. He may be leading you into uh, 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 still waters. But be actively seeking opportunity. Be devotedly reading the scriptures to be mindful and be patiently anticipating the power that he will manifest through your words, through your actions, through your attitudes. And when that happens, you'll see something like this. And you'll walk out of that experience, whether it's good, bad, or indifferent, and you'll say, ah, it's in the scriptures. I'm affirmed by it. It was true in the gospels. I'm confirmed by it. God, fill me with your spirit, and now I am being manifested to continue to do the ministry. As we, can, as we continue to walk through the book of Acts, talking about the birth and the development of the church, it's no different than here. The church is still developing in the sense that we're being reformed every day. I used to run in a few little circles <clears throat> where men would say, oh, I'm of the Reformed faith. And they understood probably more than I understood concerning Reformed doctrine. But they acted as if they'd already arrived. And this little uneducated preacher had to remind them, look, you haven't arrived, brother. You may know more than I know. You may know how to articulate whatever. But listen, we're always being reformed by this Reformed theology, this biblical doctrine. And I think so many times we as the church in general think that we have arrived at some level. Well, guess what? We're going to continue to develop as Calvary Baptist. Calvary Baptist didn't end when Brother Haleen passed away. It didn't end with Josh Rutledge. I'm going to build on their shoulders and thank God there were men that had character that preached the truth in the midst of our culture. But for me, we're going to continue to develop what God is doing in this building with his people. We're going to continue. God isn't finished. God didn't stop back there. He's not going to stop with me. Guess what? I'm not the end of all things either. Here today, gone tomorrow, right? Tomorrow's not promised to me. <coughs> Come this next Saturday, I turn 62. I mean, that's my birthday. Big milestone. I know some of y'all are saying, you're just a young whippersnapper. Well, I am compared to some of them. But, you know, listen, I, 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 I thought about that last night where Joey's coming in. We still haven't heard anything from him. I know he's at, I know he's at Fort Bliss somewhere because the support tells me. But I'm sitting there getting his room all together, and I'm getting real anxious, and I'm thinking my G.I. Joey's going to come home. And, and, of course, as I do more to that room, the more emotional I get because I remember this picture, that picture. I looked at some of the stuff that I wrote him when he was at basic campus. I was just getting real emotional and all sentimental. And Karen can tell you, I was, I was on, I was just uh, a mess yesterday. So I grabbed a dura log and I put it out there by the fire pit. I said, I'm going to go out there for a couple hours. And I just sat there and watched that dura log burn. I just sat there and looked around. And I just had to kind of slow my brain down and just think about not so much what it used to be with Joey, but what it's going to be, and that he's busy. He's a sergeant. He's busy. 
Maybe that's why I can call mom and dad. I don't know. I know his phone's broke. But I worry about those things. And then I got to think, you know, wait a minute. It's not about me. It's not about Joey. What, what is God doing here? Just like they did. What is God doing? And I just realized I had to be patient. I had to be patient to wait for the opportunity to, to minister to Joey when he gets home. I had to be devoting myself to God, just learning about myself, learning about God's ways and God's will. So as a believer, I don't know what water's in your boat, but I would dare you and challenge you to compare it to Scripture, compare it to the Gospel, and see what it tells you about God, about yourself, and how secure you are with this great shepherd that's leading you. As a non-believer, we need to tell you that the God of this world has blinded you. You won't understand what we're talking about. You can't fathom it because you're, you have scales in your eyes. It's blurred your understanding. It's, it's perverted your sight. That's why that man the other day said, well, if God would have done this, God would have done that. Well, that's all fine and dandy, but that's just scale, scale looking. This is what God did. And I would recommend if someone doesn't quite understand what God is doing here like we do, I'm going to recommend and challenge that person, that lost person that will lead them to understand. I'm going to challenge them to three things. Number one, find a Bible yourself. If you don't have one, let us know. But find a Bible yourself and just begin to read the Gospel of John. Just begin to read the Gospel of John. Number two, find a church that preaches the Bible. Our church, churches like us, find a church that preaches God's full counsel of God's word. When I say full counsel, what I mean by that is when Paul said, preach the word, Timothy, in season, out of season, to convince, to rebuke, to instruct. The idea was is that Peter wasn't just focused on some hobby horse message or hobby horse doctrine. Preach the whole counsel of God's word, both Old and New Testament. Preach the whole counsel. Bring it into context. And through that, share the gospel. And he says, you do it whether it's popular or not. And you do it with the motivation to instruct, to, re to rebuke, to convince, uh, to, to encourage. Find a church that preaches the whole counsel of God. And we're one of those churches. Number three. As you read the Bible yourself, as you find a church that preaches that whole counsel, number three, find a believer in your life and ask questions. Why this? Why that? I think of Philip when he found that Ethiopian eunuch. He was answering questions in Isaiah. Find a believer and ask questions and seek God with all your heart, lost person. If perhaps this morning, whether you're by video or you're in person, and God has convinced you he's tugging on your heart even today, then I would tell you one of two things. Just cry out to the Lord. Lord, save me a sinner. Or, if you're like me, I didn't do that standing in the pew, grab a friend by the hand and come up here and say, Preacher, I need to get saved. I need to be saved. Those are your two options. And, of course, you can always grab one of my cards back to the back and call me today. I will be there. But you need to cry out to God through Jesus Christ for mercy. Feel free to come forward this morning as we're going to turn to hymn number what? Hymn number, brother? It's okay. I caught you.
154. We're going to turn to hymn number 154. If you're here this morning, you're a believer, you say, Brother Steve, I have a need. Then please raise your hand, motion me. I will come to you if that's what you need, and I will minister the word of God in prayer. If you're here this morning or listening by way of video and you need Jesus, the Bible says whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Cry out to him. If God is tugging and, and drawing you, come to Jesus today because today is a day of salvation. Hymn number 154, correct? So please stand for the hymn of the invitation. Then we'll have the Lord's Supper after the invitation.